Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Friends, thanks again for joining us on another episode today of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast. And I'm excited again to have another guest who I actually got to hear several months ago do his stand-up routine in Dayton at uh, the Body Church there and had a chance to talk for a little bit afterwards. And he was gracious and willing to give us time to talk on here and share a little life. So today I've got Brian Bates, comedian who goes around and hits lots of places. I know he's actually been in the Midwest a decent bit over the last several months in Indiana and touring with a number of people. And he's, as I call him, the people, the quarterback of the Nateland podcast with one Aaron Weber and the guy who the show is named after, Nate Bergazzi. So, Brian, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate that. How did you pronounce our podcast? The Nateland podcast. Uh, Nate Land. See, I'm. There you go. Oh, I spoke very well when I was from Tennessee. When we yeah. moved to Ohio, when I was six, and I've been here forty six years. It's it's been butchered many times over. So, Nate Land <laughs> does sound a lot better phonetically than Nateland. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that on the podcast. How it's not Cleveland, it's Cleveland. Yeah, but for whatever reason, we call it Nate Land. Yeah, well, you can uh, have fun at my expense later, I guess. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll move on because, like I said before, we got started. I said there will be definitely imperfection in this on my end. So maybe you can hold up the bargain on your end and meet me there. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we get into some some meatier stuff, let's hear about you being a newlywed. You're fifty. Yep. You've been married in the last couple of years and you have a baby on the way in April. What is life yeah. like? Oh man, it's, it's, it's a lot of change going on. I got married for the first time at 48 and she was 43 and uh, <laughs> six weeks after we got married, global pandemic hit <laughs> and we were stuck together 24 seven in our one bedroom, one bathroom, 750 square foot condo. So we learned a lot about each other right out of the gate. And, you know, I tell people it's probably good if we're going to be stuck together in quarantine, it happened then while we still enjoyed each other's company. (laughs) Because I think if we'd been married for years, we'd probably been sick of each other if all of a sudden we were forced to be around each other all the time. But yeah, so we got married two years this January and then uh, now I'm 50 and she's 45 and we just announced we're having uh, a little, little girl. So things are really about to change for us. Yeah. Now what, is, what does that look like? I mean, do you have, are you still in the same place? Have you moved? Are you, what is, I know, you know, especially with the first, there's going to be a lot of things going nursery, maybe painting, moving things. I mean, what's, what's that part of things been like? Yeah, we moved uh, a few months ago in with her elderly parents to uh, help take care of them. But I mean, here's the thing. Her 82-year-old dad still works, and I don't. So basically, they've been taking care of me. Yeah. And, you know, it's, not, it's a weird thing to watch your wife and geriatric father-in-law leave every day for work while you and the mom hang out at the crib watching our stories, but you know, it's all right. We've bonded over the bold and the beautiful and that's what we do now. 
So it's so funny to me when when you hear people tell jokes and do their stand-up routine like yourself, you always kind of yeah. wonder, like, where's the liberties? What's real? What's not? I'm a fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Maybe people don't want to know that about me, but it's always funny seeing, like, Larry David, who was portrayed as George Costanza, and then he's on a show where he's even more exaggerated. And you're like, where's the line between what's real and what's not real and all that? So you shared that bit yeah. in your act when I saw you. So is there truly a lot of your mother-in-law and you hanging out? I mean, not a lot of us hanging out, but I mean, all my stories I tell are essentially true. They might be exaggerated a little bit. So that's an example of one that's exaggerated in the sense that we don't hang out that much. You, you know, I was trying to just slip in a funny edit, but you totally took that and <laughs> you totally called me out. Hey, Brian, you're doing a joke from your act. So how much of that's true? So, well, I think uh, it is it the joke there that it's really not bold and beautiful. It's just a bunch of game shows that you didn't know, want to own up to which ones they were, or it's Kelly and, and Ryan. Isn't that the real <laughs> part of the story? Uh, no, that's not part of the story. <laughs> uh, it could be, uh, I guess. See, I watch the the view sometimes if that helps, but her dad does work and he does at 82. That's amazing. And, um, so there are times often where it is just me and the mom hanging out here at the house. Now she has, they have their own wing of the house. And so it's not like we're hanging out all the time, but sure. I don't know if I'll be able to tell that joke again now that you've totally <laughs> dissected it and called me out on all its imperfections. Well, I think what I'm doing, Brian, is I'm trying to help you out. I have uh, an 18, 16, 14-year-old boys and a 12-year-old daughter, and my boys like to think I've never been funny. I told them I, you know, they know that I did Young Life for years. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with Young Life at all. It's a high school, junior high ministry. You do skits, you do mm -hmm. goofy stuff. And I just the other night at a game for my son, I had the guy behind him who was a Young Life kid of mine acknowledge that I was funny doing skits. I said, now that was then I haven't been funny in 15 years and that wasn't that funny then. But I think if we work on this, like Kelly Ripa, Ryan Seacrest, you know, maybe Hoda and whoever she's with now, I think she's with Jenna Bush and then play off the view thing a little bit longer than Drew Carey and, and um, Price is right. I'm just adding to your joke and I'm helping you refine it. Can we, can we go there maybe? Well, uh, we, we could go there, I guess, but I choose not to. In the sense that you're funny, I'm that's not. the one thing about being a comedian is everybody can do it, or at least think they can. So they like to, uh, you know, give you joke ideas and and refine your bits. I, I also talk about that <laughs> on stage. How if you're a musician, yeah. people either know they can play an instrument or they can't, or if it's a, a mud magician, people usually know why. Well, I, I don't know how they do that, but everyone's made their friends laugh, so everyone thinks, "Hey, I could do that." Yeah. And often they try. You know, it's funny about that. So I was, I had lunch the other day with a guy, I think maybe you've met or you know who each other is, Jeff Jenna. So he and I are building yeah. a friendship. He's in Middletown. And uh, we, we drove to Florence, Kentucky and had lunch with a guy who's an author, a medical doctor doing some really cool stuff. And the guy in, from Lexington is one of the most unassuming. He's done very, very mm -hmm. significant stuff. But he did tell Jeff a couple jokes, but it was done in such a welcoming, warm, like he wasn't trying hard to be funny. He wasn't trying to impress him. He just told him a couple jokes he'll tell from the stage when he gets a chance to speak. And Jeff was super great about it or or whatever. But uh, I'm sure that happens a lot. I mean, I, I'm sure people get around you and the whole idea of trying to ramp up their game and say a little clever thing. Do you handle that pretty well? Does it get from, I mean, cause you know, you make the, the joke you said in your act about musicians or magicians or, you know, if it's a handy, whatever it may be, we all think we're one. Does that ever mm -hmm. hit, hit you wrong or all the time wrong or. 
sometimes it hits me wrong. Either people will come up after a show. This is at a comedy club usually. And I'm, you know, I'm clean. I'm, I'm hundred percent clean and they'll see my act and then they'll say, Hey, I got one for you. It'll be the dirtiest joke mm-hmm. you've ever heard. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, did you just hear exactly. my act? Like, why would you possibly think I, that would be one that I would want to tell or would be interested in? And then, um, you, you know, what I find is, and you probably maybe seen this some too, pastors, pastors do bring humor to their sermons, but a lot of times they think they're comedians, you know, mm-hmm. and so when I go do shows at churches, they usually like to debrief me on, you know, what they've got going on, their humor and stuff like that. And, and it's just a little bit different. Not that that would have happened when you were here by any means, I would bet not at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, not in Dayton, but other places. <laughs> well, of course, one of their pastors uh, was the guy who opened Ryan Voorhees was the guy yeah. who opened up for you. So one of their guys actually did open up. Yeah, Ryan was great. And, you know, he did, um, he did 30 minutes ahead of me and he's hardly ever done stand up. And I was just thinking, boy, that usually is a recipe for disaster because 30 minutes is a long time. Mm-hmm. And he did great. He, he knocked it out of the park. Wow. He'll appreciate hearing that. I'm sure knowing you, you probably encouraged him, you know, a little bit afterwards anyway. That's pretty cool. So, hey, you do tell in your act a little bit, you get into some churchy kind of stuff and kind of give a little bit of your background. So give us a few minutes of kind of your background spiritually and what God's done in your life that way. Yeah. So I grew up, I mean, I grew up in the church and I have a joke now where I talk about if I get in a bind doing church shows where the, where the, I'm out of material, I'll just share my testimony but the problem is I don't have a good testimony because I'm the boring type of Christian that just grew up going to church. So I just make up stuff, you know, that happened in my life and to make my testimony sound better. But grew up going to church, raised in a Christian home, and and then didn't get into comedy until very late in life for, for comedy. I was 35 when I took a stand-up comedy class. My dad passed away in December of 2006, so it, it was... It was just 15 years ago. And then the next month I took a stand-up comedy class just for fun, just to help get my mind off, you know, the grieving process, just something different to do. And really just thought it'd be a fun four-week class and didn't think you'd go anywhere further than that. And then things just took off. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people in the class and we kept going. I went to the next level and the next level of the class and started going to open mics around Nashville and started doing it more on the side and one thing does the other. And, you know, 15 years later, I'm a full-time comedian, but along that way, I never was dirty because of my Christian faith. It just, that's not who I am. I think even if I tried to be dirty on stage, it wouldn't resonate because people could see through me. It's not me. It's not authentic. So when people ask me why I write clean, it's kind of easy because that's just how I am. When I first started, I did have more, edgy material, I guess, kind of teetering on some, you know, dirty material innuendo because you know what gets laughs and you're just so desperate to get laughs when you first start. And I wasn't good enough to write jokes completely clean that would get good enough laughs. So there's a few jokes when I started out that I'd be embarrassed to tell now, but never was really filthy. I mean, I've always been basically clean and uh, my Christian faith has a lot to do with that. And I want to be able to tell my material on stage in front of my parents, mm. in front of a church, uh, anywhere, and, and not be embarrassed about it. And so my faith helped kind of guide me to be clean. And then that's opened so many doors because 
if you are clean in comedy, you have so many more opportunities, not just to do at churches, but corporate events, television appearances. And then the people that I work with, like Nate Bargatze, they want clean openers. And so it's really God's blessed me by being clean. Well, and don't you think, you know, I've been to comedy on a number of levels, wherever it may be, because I just love, I think there's something about humor that's just great medicine for the soul if people reference that comment. But um, the church world seems to be either they haven't been exposed to going to see a comedian or if they have, they really love it. So to me, it would seem like comedy more than about any form of entertainment, you can easily be embraced by the church. I mean, is that fair to say? And is that your experience? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Churches, obviously, they're welcoming. I mean, the only I just did a church Christmas party. And they can be tough, even if you're clean, because the setting's different. Um, You know, there's children there. There's the vibe of the room's a little bit different. So even though I'm clean, all of a sudden I noticed I felt very, um, how can I say it? My jokes felt mean Mm. because I'm calling people like idiot or dumb or I'm, uh, you know, making fun of people or all of a sudden I felt very edgy and very mean just because there were children in the room and uh, there were some, a lot of older people that maybe didn't get some of the humor and I felt self-conscious about it. But generally if you're clean and, oh yeah. And the other thing I'd say is I have, a, you know, my share of church jokes and they usually go well, because if you tell people up front, you're a Christian, you got to give them some background. They know, all right, this guy's not making fun of us. He's one of us. And then we can all laugh together. But there's still occasionally at times where people are like, where's this guy going? Is he, is he making fun of us? Is he making fun of Jesus? Things like that. So like that church in Dayton was so great. That was, that was a great show, but they don't, they don't always go that well. Cause sometimes the crowds just can be a little tight at churches. You know, I think it's interesting. Cause I think a, we, I mean, I'm a big believer in general in life, us following Jesus, humility is everything. I tell my kids often, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves first. And I think that's so important. I think if the church and people inside churches can learn that, um, you know, Tim Hawkins does a great bit where he kind of pokes fun at some denominations. and He does a funny thing like, you know, the Catholic church sprinkling things and whatnot. I, I heard the story once, you, you maybe have heard the story that John Christ, I think it was, was doing a show in Atlanta one time. And I think Andy Stanley was in the crowd and he made some joke and kind of poked fun at some more mainstream known Christian, I hate to say celebrities, but pastors, writers, whoever. Right. And he said something right. about, he said something about Andy Stanley and he said something like, oh yeah, does he even believe the Bible's still true? And it was at a time when there was something kind of going on with him with something biblically. And it was so, mm-hmm. so clearly not true that when he saw Andy Stanley later, he came up to him and cracked up because man, I love that joke. Like Andy Stanley mm-hmm. so wasn't offended by it because it's not even a true statement that he could laugh right. about it. And people almost felt like, wow, he should be offended for Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley thinks it's, it's hilarious. So um, right. I, I think you're bringing something to the table in that equation that I hope you don't lose sight of or nobody else does. Like, no, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves and poke fun. And the reality is most denominations and churches are different because of where they're wrong. I think not really because of where they're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And churches, just like anybody else, can take themselves too serious at times. And obviously, we need to be respectful and reverent of God and, and Christ and never say anything that's disrespectful. But at the same time, if we're poking fun at ourselves and our man-made decisions, that's different. And 
the two examples you just gave, Tim Hawkins and John Christ, I feel like those are the two best examples of guys who took it to another level in Christian comedy because they did point out all the kind of funny, different things that we do as Christians. And there's a lot of great Christian comedians, but I feel like those two guys in general kind of took it to a different level. Sure, sure. Let me ask you, so being that you're in this new stage of life over the last two years, I mean, do you professionally get pretty excited thinking, well, hey, my opportunity for some new material is getting ready to get expanded big time. I mean, are you already kind of starting? Well, obviously marriage-wise, you've been doing some of that, but I mean, are you thinking as a soon-to-be, I mean, you're a dad, but officially a dad with baby girl Bates showing up, does that open up all kinds of new material that you can't wait to write about? Oh, that's the only reason I'm doing it. Um, (laughs) I was kind of running out of material as a single man. I'm like, all right, what else can I do? So I was like, I know, I'm sure I could find somebody to marry me. And then when I read on marriage material, I got to take it a step further. Let's have a kid. So no, I mean, I'm joking about that, but, but yes, by hundred percent, that that's true. I am looking forward to it. Before I was married, most of my material or a lot of it was about being single it, in my forties. And then I remember when I got married, my friends said, boy, what's Brian going to do now that he's married, he's losing all his material. And then at a show recently I did, I have so much material now about my wife that one of my friends said, boy, he better hang on to her or, you know, he's not going to have any material, which was kind of an honor in a way because it shows I can transition. And so, yeah, I'm already writing some jokes about, you know, my wife being pregnant and going through that. But once the baby comes, I, I hope to garner a lot of new material. I think it's going to happen whether I want to or not. Now, does, does Ruth chime in and say, hey, here's something that might be fun. Does she, being married to someone, does she like to contribute or give you an idea or do you bounce everything off of her? Or how does that work marriage-wise for you guys at the dinner table? I usually bounce stuff off her. She's never, I trust her judgment and she's never um, shot down a joke that about her that I've told because she's doesn't take herself too serious and she's a great sport about it and realizes that most of my jokes, even if I'm making fun of her, I'm still kind of the butt of the joke. I have a couple of new jokes now about going to the fertility clinic, which is, you know, what we were doing before we got pregnant. And they're a little bit on the more edgy side um, for my material these days. And I ran those by her and she just gave me some opinions like, you know, that might not be, your brand or might not, she just gave me some, some notes on ways to soften it or maybe some stuff to leave out because again, you want to do material that you can do anywhere at a club or a church. And, but that's, that's teetering on the line sometimes when you talk about going to fertility clinic and stuff that you have to do there. (laughs) See, that's so difficult. I think because like I look at testimonies, I, you know, I'm a part of a church and, and I, I, that is big on testimonies and showing videos. And I love right. the, the website, I am second.com. I mean, this is a lot of what we're doing. I mean, every, every interview I have, I'm going to get into people's story spiritually a little bit. And I think, you know, whether things are too recent or based on your leadership role, we feel like we can't get into certain things. I know I love when, when guys, you know, you got to have some appropriateness to it, but talk about sex. Like it's a gift from God. It's creation. It's, a work and a design of art from a good heavenly father. Like, how do you feel about that when you feel like there's some things that we can't talk about? There's other things we can't, especially when you're doing such a great job of honoring clean, wholesome comedy that, you know, I kind of added in there a minute ago that you would hope your daughter can listen to years from now. 
Does that get mm-hmm. to be a challenge? Because you're like, well, why can't we talk about that? Yes. I mean, I guess everyone has their own line that they feel like uh, they're not crossing. And I mean, I see comedians that I think are too dirty, way across the line for anywhere, really. And they don't see it that way. They see it as, hey, I'm just being real. So I guess I'm no different if I'm at a church and I get upset. But yeah, the stuff I say, I feel like I don't understand why you guys can't laugh about this or be. don't get me wrong. No one's even ever even approached me at a church or anywhere and say, hey, you shouldn't say that. So this is all stuff I've just created in my head. Sure. But I, I get a sense of it sometimes if I try a joke and if people tense up. And, and let me say another thing. Race is another thing that people get so tense about. And I have some jokes about race in my act. And what I find, and this is not just at churches, this is comedy clubs or anywhere. But I just did a show at a church. I did two shows there. The first show, the crowd was 100% white. And I do a joke about my mom and how she doesn't, because she lives in a town that's 100% white, she doesn't uh, know how to interact with non-white people. And I, the joke's making fun of my mom, but the crowd got really, really tense. But when I do jokes in front of audiences that there are other races there, it goes really well because they think it's funny. And then the white people relax and say, okay, we can laugh. So on the second show, there were some black families in the audience and the pastor's wife encouraged me not to tell that joke on the second show. And I didn't tell it because I respected her wishes, but I wanted to say, and I wanted to show her, I think this joke's going to go so much better on this show because they're going to laugh at it. And then that's going to make the white people relax and see that it's okay to laugh. You know, what's so interesting about you saying, I'm getting ready to go see in a few weeks, uh, one of my board members from our ministry, uh, they're at his church is having Mike Goodwin. And uh, I really yeah. like how Mike Goodwin approaches some race stuff. And Michael Jr., I've seen him multiple times. And when he does the joke about white people and black people and how they name their dogs is yeah. ridiculous. I mean, you can find it, I think, anywhere on YouTube. And then he plays it out in the crowd, which you've obviously seen it. And it plays out to be true what he says. And that's to me, one of the gifts of comedy so much is we put a proper perspective on things. And when I sent you my notes, one of the things I talk about that I love about comedy is we'll talk about music. We'll talk about all these things that are great unifiers. I'm a big believer that nothing is a unifier like comedy, being able to laugh at yourself, looking across the table at someone at a comedy club and laughing. It pulls all things together. Absolutely. I have, uh, I'm going to promote myself here for, for a second, Please the do. most viewed video I have on YouTube is, I think it's titled, and I posted it, so I should know why I titled it, but uh, <laughs> Black Audience Surprised When White Boy Takes the Stage. And it's got like two and a half million views. It's, it's me performing in front of an all-Black audience, and I really play to it. And I do jokes about Black people. And they love it because I'm not cowering. I'm not hiding from it. I'm embracing it. And it, and it went really well. And that is such a great unifier is comedy. And, you know, we love, like you said, the Michael Jr. joke and the Mike, Mike Goodwin. Mike Goodwin has a great joke about nicknames for black people and white people and how, you know, a banker can be named, a white guy can be named Chip. That could be his nickname. But you can't have Pookie running a bank, you know. And it's so funny because there's always truth to it and it makes us think about ourselves, but it goes both ways. If a white person performs in front of a black audience and points out differences, they like it just as much and it's just as unifying either way. 
And do you feel the power in what you do that way? I noticed recently you did a show real recently where I think it was like five or six black guys and you, you were the only white guy. And I'm thinking how many professions could you be in unless you played, you know, whatever sports or, I mean, whatever thing where there's clearly a melting pot, you know, you reference banker. I mean, maybe that you'd be in a bank when it's all, you know, all white people. I mean, who knows? And yet you were doing a comedy show when every comedian there was black, but you. Yeah. Yeah. I was the only, and everyone in the audience was black, but me. And you're right. That's, that's so true. I mean, other than sports, there's not many things that, you know, maybe, I mean, I guess there's white rappers or white jazz musicians or something that's predominantly black, but there's not many things like that where that's the case. I mean, church is very segregated and for the most part, usually most churches are either mostly white or mostly black and, and the pastors are the same way. So I really enjoy performing in front of different audiences and, and seeing if I can make them laugh and kind of embrace those, uh, I was gonna say embrace the differences, but also just embrace all the things we have in common and how we're all the same. Well, and one of the things I sent you was talking about where and how do comedians learn from each other? And is it really an educational thing? I mean, let's face it, you and that environment that you had recently is probably much different and better than you just going what you would typically do another time, or even where it's a different change of pace from just being with Nate and Aaron all the time. Oh yeah, for sure. My act, the only thing I guess that stays consistent is I, I try to stay clean no matter well, I don't try. I do stay clean no matter what the setting is. But I am far enough into comedy where I have enough jokes that I can change my set a little bit based on the audience as far as what I think will work. I mean, I travel open on the road a lot now for Leanne Morgan and her audience is mostly women. And so therefore my jokes, I make sure when I think about, I think about my audience and I know that women uh, appreciate certain types of jokes than men, whatnot. You know, I don't want to stereotype, but I do less sports jokes in front of our audience. I'll say that. Sure. Well, let me speak to this. I was taught, I brought up Aaron and Nate, and you guys just seem to have a great camaraderie. You guys just get going. You're silly. I, I initially wanted to skip through all the initial email and comments and all that stuff and just get to the meat of the 70s or the 80s or pro wrestling or sitcoms right. or whatever. But I thought, man, this is the good stuff. And one thing we have to acknowledge about you if we had, you know, the resume, the thing that to me I'm most proud of you for as a guy who met you is you did win the Krispy Kreme challenge. Like Aaron and Nate and even Nate's wife were very soft. They didn't even come close to what they said they would do eating Krispy Kreme donuts. And you crushed it. I think you did twice as many as you said you would do. But speak to that camaraderie. You guys just look like you're having a blast. You know, you poke fun at each other where you poke fun at each other. But speak to that kind of rapport that you guys have. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel very blessed that the podcast has done as well as it has. It just seemed like it just kind of meshed together. And then we've just kind of found, found a groove. And, you know, the, the thing you said about the, off the top, the comments, that was just something that we just kind of tried on a whim, but people seem to really enjoy it. It gives them a voice to be able to I mean, we're three dumb guys. I mean, Aaron, we say Aaron's smart, but Aaron acknowledges he's not smart either. And we don't know much about anything. So we'll talk about a topic and it probably drives people. If people know about that topic, it probably drives them crazy because they know how dumb we are. But the good thing is they get a chance to write in and 
show us where we're wrong. And then we read some of those comments in the air next week. And uh, people seem to really enjoy that. I've known Nate for a long time. Um, we've traveled and done shows together for, for a long time. And then Aaron, I've known for a few years. He's younger and newer into comedy. And he's just such a great guy. And he's definitely a rising star in comedy. And I think he's going to be a big deal in a few years himself. And it's been great to work with him and to get to know him better through the podcast. And we just all like each other and hang out. And I feel like people just think it's like three guys, three of their, three of their buddies hanging around talking about dumb stuff. Well, you know, what's interesting about that. I'll say a couple of things. One, when I first started doing podcasting on a different podcast, the guy who kind of set the table for me, one of the things he, he said to me, that was very a tweak. And the thing that made me think differently was he goes, don't try to put out a product for people to buy into or whatever, like just have a conversation that people get to peek in on. And I think you mm-hmm. guys do that really well. Like you guys will have fun at Aaron about his weight that he's lost or about Notre Dame and his hats. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like you guys will always bust Nate's chops about maybe a wordsmithing thing or something. And, you know, who doesn't mm-hmm. think like Jim Nance as a sportscaster, different people are known for whatever. And, you know, you guys with hello folks. I mean, just stuff like that. That's just fun. Right. That's light. I mean, you guys look like you really, really, really enjoy being around each other. And I just think it shows. So it's like, these are three buddies. And the fact mm. that you do these topical theme things, mostly the sitcom one was great. I think you did one about movies. You did one about yeah. dinosaurs. I'm not a big fan of, I've never been a big fan of trying to research something like that. So I tend to go to the ones because they're long enough that have a topic I'm really interested in. But I'm like, it's almost like a Wikipedia thing. I'm like, I'm taking notes or, oh man, there were some sitcom ones you guys talked about that I'm like, wow, I didn't give that one much of a shot. And so I think you guys really do equip people and inform people some things that, okay, maybe you're not right on everything, but man, I think that part of what you do makes that podcast a little bit more special beyond personalities. Do you get that from people much? Yeah, I think we don't, we certainly don't intimidate people. So <laughs> if you're someone who really wants to be educated on a topic, we're probably not the best podcast because there's so many topics that are podcasts out there that can probably better educate you with experts on a particular subject. But if you're just the average person that wants to learn a little bit while have some fun and listen and have some laughs, then we're probably good for that. What I find is that People really enjoy the podcast until a topic comes up that they really know. Mm. And then it frustrates them because they realize how little we do know. Professional wrestling was an example because there's some diehard wrestling fans. And they got frustrated with us because even though we're wrestling fans, we don't know it as much as they do. And uh, that's, you know, true almost every topic. We actually have not done dinosaurs. So, you're mistaken on that. And we haven't done movies yet either. So oh, I don't even cool. know if you've listened to the podcast, <laughs> but we have talked about them a little. We've done sitcoms. Or, I mean, we've done television. We just did a one on Seinfeld Ooh. that came out a few weeks ago. And we just recorded one yesterday on The Office that will be released in a couple of weeks. But yeah, it's fun. And, and people do say they learn stuff. Oh, um, yeah. What about girls' names? Could you do a uh, episode coming up about girls' names? That'd be great for you. It'd be pretty self-serving. Help me decide what to yeah. name our, our baby. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could have the folks uh, vote on it and whatever they vote on could be the name of our child. I'm all for it. Let's do it. So, you know, <laughs> you know it's funny on the wrestling one. I, you know, it's funny because I did watch that one and, and you seemed pretty knowledgeable. So I would be easy on yourself there. You seem like you knew what you were talking about there, Brian. And I thought it was so funny. There was that video, that picture you guys showed of the Undertaker 
showing up at like Nate's dentist office or something like that. Yep. Yeah, that was so funny. I mean, I am a wrestling fan and I do know it, but you know how that is. Wrestling sure. fans are diehard. Yeah. So there are people who know so much more than I do and just kind of blow me out of the water. And those are the ones that I think were getting a little frustrated. Aaron's not a really a wrestling fan at all. And Nate's somewhere in between me and, and Aaron. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I could see you guys sometimes when you're talking, if you pay attention to Aaron, sometimes you can actually see where he heard something or he's thinking of something and he's like, he's quick to want to Google and figure it out. And he's obviously younger and just, you know, exposed right. to less things. But like, I appreciate you guys being honest about what maybe is not an interest or so on and so forth. And Aaron, will start Googling and looking it up. And you guys clearly have straight ahead for you to Aaron's left to Nate's right a screen or whatever you're looking at. And it's so fun to see you guys go back and look up YouTube clips or, or whatever. So do me a favor here. I sent you notes about this, put together yes. for me, if you could, the perfect comedian, who would that person look like? If you put together different parts of writing of oh. facial features of just funny storytelling or being vulnerable, whatever it would be. Tell me what a perfect comedian might look like. Oh boy. Well, let's see here. Facial gestures. Let's on there. Huh? You know, a guy who was just as any's this weekend, who is so funny and he has some great facial gestures is Lavelle Crawford. Oh, okay. Yeah. And a lot of people may not know him, yeah. but he's, I think he was on last comic standing and he is really, really funny. And he's got some, some great facial, facial, oh, you put facial gestures, but yeah, that's what I meant to say. Facial yeah. gestures, but, but same thing. Uh, Tim Hawkins, writer. Right, isn't Tim Hawkins on the facial stuff too? Oh yeah, Tim Hawkins. That's a that's a great example. Um, he can make you laugh just by not saying anything, just by yeah. facial. Um, Brian Regan's another one. Mm. Brian Regan can do funny faces. Funny. I mean, his material's great, but his act outs are are so good. You know Brian Regan? I. You know what's funny? I just saw his special on vacation from the Red Rocks, and like he did a joke. Was it about mayonnaise? It was his bit about mayonnaise was really good. But I was a little right. disappointed. I kind of expected more because when he's been on like comedians and cars getting coffee, I thought he was really good. But I, I thought his stand-up didn't do it for me as much as I expected or hoped for. Well, yeah, I mean, he's no like Brian Bates. Of, he, uh, you should listen to some of his old stuff. Yeah, his stuff from uh, you know the '90s and the 2000s are are so funny, so good. I saw him open for Jerry Seinfeld once, and wow, what a what a great show! Uh, as far as writing. Well, Jerry Seinfeld's a, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. So mm -hmm. that's, that's somebody that comes to mind. I mean, there's so many, I don't want to forget someone, but I can't really. You know who else is good with the facial stuff is uh, Angela Johnson. Oh yeah. And Angela and I are good friends. Um, I opened with her quite a few times and we do some writing together. She lives in Nashville now yeah. and yeah, Angela's, Angela's great. Angela's a, a believer and she's clean. So she's another one that, People should check out that guy with her from Miami, the big guy. I forgot his name. Is he originally from Cuba? But he opened up for her because I just saw her a couple months ago in Cincinnati. He was really good. He does a podcast or something with like a buddy of his. I wish I could remember his name because he made some kind of I don't know if racial jokes or whatever. But he he was really good. Big stocky guy. Like I said, I think he lives in Miami, but he's maybe from Cuba. But wish I, I don't know who that is. I know most of her openers, but I can't think of who that is right offhand. Yeah. I've opened for her quite a bit on the road. And I guess the last time I opened for her was back in June in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. Great city. Yeah. Who, who do you think has a, like, who would you put up there for the stage presence? Uh, boy, 
or self-effacing, either one of those? There's so many. I'll say this. John Christ is, he's, he's a great performer on stage mm-hmm. and he does a lot of act outs and a lot of characters and he makes you kind of, and again, Tim Hawkins as well. They're, they're just very good at uh, reeling you in and, and making you laugh. I work with, uh, I, I keep thinking I'm forgetting people. I mean, there's so many great comedians. Do you know, are you familiar with Henry Cho? Uh, a little bit. I, I know the name and I know that Henry Cho, I think has several specials on either Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. He has a Comedy Central special and he's been a lot of late night sets. He's been around for a long time and very funny, clean, Asian guy with a Southern accent. And he's, I still work with him some as well. And he's, uh, he's really funny, really great straight stage presence. And it just makes you feel like if you're not laughing, it's, it's on you. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, let me go to our five rapid five questions and I got one or two more. We'll, we'll kind of wind up with, but uh, Brian, okay. what's your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Uh, I really liked Lucky Charms for cereal. Lots of people say and that. I like to, uh, I like to eat all of the, uh, the, the cereal part first and save, mm. you know, Lucky Charms has yeah. the marshmallow treats. Mm-hmm. I would save all those for last is my like dessert. I would eat all the other stuff first and then. Sure. That's great. So if you're a godly man, do you say your favorite candy bar is Goo Goo? <laughs> Come on. Well, Goo Goo, if you live in Tennessee, the deluxe need, one, you better, you better claim it. Yeah. Goo Goo's great, but that's one of many. But. Yeah. Well, Goo Goo. See, I'm from, since I'm from Nashville originally, got to say Goo Goo for candy bar. But yeah. what's, what's your favorite book? I'm going to assume you've read some and you like books on some level. What's, what's your favorite book you like to gift to other people? You shouldn't assume that. I was just saying, that's why I kind of froze for a moment. I thought he may not like to read. Yeah. Yeah. You're asking all the ones I was like, I hope he skips that one. <laughs> um, Dr. Seuss says which well, one? I don't think I've ever gifted a book to anyone in my life. So other than the Bible, which you have to say, yeah. I will say that one that I, I read over and over every so often just to kind of help refresh my memory and, and still enjoy it. And I don't think I've ever given this book to anyone, but I've told other people to read it is Mere Christianity yeah. by C.S. Lewis. Lewis. And I find it's just a really great book to kind of center you back on your faith and Mm. why God makes sense. You killed that question. So good, good response there. I like that. So here's one for you as a coming dad. So let's say you and Ruth and and baby girl Bates is going to be going on a trip. And just to give you a heads up here, this is my, my offering to you that with an 18, 16, 14 and 12 year old, we can plan all we want about where we're going to lunch. And okay, that's going to be about mile marker exit, whatever. Somebody ends up yeah. having to go to the bathroom 10 minutes before. And I'm like, I ain't stopping again. We're stopping there. And you see the exit sign and it says these three places, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or um, In-N-Out Burger. Where are you going? Well, all right. That's a great question. Um, now you're, you're talking on my level. Yep. Uh, it has nothing to do with kids. It's just my level. <sighs> with kids, I'll have to think differently. All right. We don't have In-N-Out Burger in Nashville. So part of me would say in and out burger because it's different and I got to go and eat somewhere that I can't eat at all the time. So I guess that would be my answer. Now, among McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, those are <laughs> McDonald's is the one I do the most because when I'm traveling, I'm on the road. 
I, I can't, it's hard, so hard to eat healthy and there's McDonald's on every exit. So very often I'll get off and do McDonald's and it never disappoints. I, I mean, I love McDonald's. If I have time, Chick-fil-A is my favorite, favorite restaurant. I mean, favorite drive through or fast food restaurant. And I mean, I have a joke about Chick-fil-A in my act and. Yeah. What about the drive through experience? <laughs> it's getting, uh, do you do Chick-fil-A? I do. do. You like Chick-fil-A? I do. Definitely. The drive-through experience, as I point out, is getting, they're getting too good. They're too good. They meet you so far out there now that I don't even realize it's them. Last time I was there, I thought it was a homeless guy with an iPad. And I was like, no, go away. <laughs> I'm not giving you money. And then they're like, what can we get you? And I'm like, uh, I'd like to get off the interstate first because <laughs> this does not feel safe. How is your Wi-Fi so good? <laughs> And then they're like, pull it up to the next window. And I'm like, what window? I'm at Arby's right now. I don't even see a window. My GPS doesn't even show me the building yet. And they're getting, here's my theory. Chick-fil-A is getting so good that they're eventually just going to be waiting for you in your car. You're just going to come out and you're going to get in your car and be like, oh my gosh. And they're going to be like, we knew you were coming. God told us. That's my theory on Chick-fil-A. See, that's also my joke on Chick-fil-A. You're getting me messed <laughs> up because ever since I heard you say that, I'm walking out of my house in the morning, I usually leave the house about 6, 6.30, and I'm half expecting somebody to show up to take my order. I'm like, uh, Polynesian? Oh, wait, they're not. Brian's a little early on that. They're not quite doing that yet. But if you're right. It, that's a great, that's one of my all-time favorite bits. And I just heard it from you because I think it feels like it's going that direction. So Yeah. Now, and you joke, you and uh, you and Aaron and, and Nate have joked quite a bit, I think, about whether it's sausage McMuffins or egg McMuffins. So I think you guys have definitely had more than your fair share of breakfast sandwiches early in the morning for McDonald's. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And the mine's, um, I do the uh, bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddle. That's my Ooh. McDonald's go-to. You, you go all the way, man. You're getting all the sugar in there you can possibly get. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. Their big thing is um, when they order a meal from McDonald's, they also like the side sandwich. They get a, a meal and a sandwich on the side, which I don't do that. A meal like, usually suffices for me. That sounds like cookout. Cookout, the fast food place out of, uh, what is it, Kentucky or North Carolina, yeah. you can get a corn dog for a side item, which I'm like, any place that you can get a corn dog for a side item, I think that's my kind of place. <laughs> so what's, We have cookout here. I did not know that. There's a cookout in Nashville? Yeah. Get out of here. Where at? Uh, I think there might be more than one. Uh, there's one on West End Avenue okay. and I think there's a couple around town. Wow. That's well, it, it's And it's cheap too. I'm blown away how cheap it is. It looks like they must have some kind of Christian ownership because they put scripture either on a cup or somewhere in a restaurant and a mm-hmm. bunch of milkshake flavors too. Mm-hmm. Brian, I'd, I'd hate to think of me and you going out to eat together. It would not be pretty. I think that's pretty fair to say. So what's the movie that every time you stumble across it, it's halfway through, it's quarter through, it's three quarters of the way through, you're sticking with it till the end? I got a few of those. I love Shawshank Redemption. I've seen it so many times that I can obviously, no matter where it's at on TV, I can just pick up and and watch it. Um, That's one of my favorites. Oh boy, let me think about that. What are some of my other favorites? I really like, uh, I don't know why I thought of this, but Office Space, that's a, kind of a cult classic. Ron and, Livingston. You know, anyone who worked in an office, you know, can. there's a lot about that that they can probably really appreciate and stuff like that. It's trying to think of some that come across every time you flip around television. I mean, Shawshank is definitely one of those that you see on TV a lot. But those are a couple that comes to mind. 
Yeah, those are great. I love, I haven't thought about Office Space in a while. That's a good movie. Ron Livingston's great in it. So lastly, and a, and a very important one, who was your first celebrity crush? All right. This is a little, I don't know if I say you'd say celebrity crush because I don't even know this woman's name, but you'll know who I'm talking about, I think. This is an example of being confused as a young man. I, have to, I was probably about 10 or 11. And back then, when you watch movies, you know, the good guys are very good. The bad guys are very bad. And then I went to see Superman 2. <laughs> wow. And Superman 2 is where, one where the villains from Krypton come to Earth. And one of them was a woman. I can't even remember her character's name, but she was an attractive villain. And I was very confused as a young man because I'm like, wow, she's, I have these feelings for her, but she's the bad guy. She's trying to hurt <laughs> Superman. So as a young 10 year old, Brian was confused about his feelings and how he felt about that. So that's the first one I remember thinking about that. Now, I guess I'm old enough. For, I can remember Wonder Woman and sure. uh, Linda Carter. Yeah, Linda Carter. And I mean, certainly I didn't have her poster on my wall or anything, but I certainly enjoyed watching her yeah. <laughs> on television. Yeah. I always say the right answer there, and you're close enough to my age, you have to go with this, but uh, Elizabeth Shue from Karate Kid and Adventures in wow. Babysitting and all that kind of good stuff. Cobra Kai now for a year. Yeah, well, you're you're so right about that. Elizabeth Shue, there was no one hotter to me than there for a certain period of time. A little bit after... Karate Kid, like Adventures in Babysitting, and then some of those later ones where, yeah, she was about as hot as there could be. Now I'm starting to reminisce about some other. <laughs> did you know Elizabeth? Did you know Elizabeth Shue was on the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm season where they were redoing Seinfeld, and she ended up ultimately playing George Costanza's ex-girlfriend. I did not know that. No. Now that's and in fact. I just watched an episode. I mean, not episode, but I guess it's Back to the Future. Is it three? Uh, and she's his girlfriend. Okay. She's Marty McFly's girlfriend. I think I'm getting that right. I think they replaced, or maybe it's Back to the Future 2. They replaced his girlfriend from one of the other. They they, re, they replaced the actress. It was the same character. Sure. But a different actress was playing her, and then it was Elizabeth Shue. Well, you're not going wrong if you replace with her. That's That's – a very good call no matter what. So, well, Brian, I really appreciate your time today. I had more questions. I guess that might mean we needed a part two later if I didn't offend you yeah. by messing up, you know, any jokes with you and your mother-in-law. So I apologize. <laughs> I think you have a lot more comedy still left in you. And, uh, hey, you were a joy from, I was on sabbatical when we saw you. I don't know if you remember me telling you that. And uh, when I think yeah. of highlights of my sabbatical, me and my wife getting a date night to, to go check you out. And she really enjoyed you. My wife is not just going to say anybody's funny. So for her to enjoy it the way she did major, major props and appreciate what you're doing with Nate land and uh, super excited for you and Ruth and uh, all that's before you uh, in the, the front view of the car, not the rear view. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And yeah, same to you. You were so gracious to, to come that night and it was great meeting you then. It's been great being on, being on your podcast and thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.